up, what up, what up? Here we go back again with another episode of the Format Podcast and what we got for you today. Of course, football, football, more football, and a little NBA for you Hoops fans out there. Lamar Jackson is at it again, and the Ravens look like the best team in football. What about the Patriots, who are always in the hunt? Dak Prescott? Yeah, you know where this is going. In college football, the playoff committee probably isn't happy, so you know that means I am. I'll tell you about how Rivalry Week upset the Apple Card for the playoff and the vaunted Southeastern Conference. In the NBA, Melo can still ball, Kyrie Irving waxes poetic, and the Raptors are better than expected. Finally, in the Bruce Breakdown, what are the Wolverines to do? All that and more. So sit back, relax, and listen up to episode 46 of The Format. Part of the reason the NFL is king of American sports is that every season is new. Nothing's guaranteed. There's always surprises. Worst to first and first to worst. Players who pop up from nowhere and do amazing things and play to levels that we never expected. Teams that come up almost out of nowhere. This might be one of the most exciting seasons in recent memory. The Baltimore Ravens might seriously be the best team in the NFL right now. Lamar Jackson is playing out of his mind and might be en route to an MVP in only his second year. He's definitely the front runner right now, and he's coming off another incredible performance on Monday night against the Rams. Five touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I get it. The Rams of this season are not last season's Rams. There's no question about that. But still, Lamar and the Ravens offense is doing this not just against bad teams. They're doing it to everyone. The Baltimore offense is leading the league in rushing by far at over 210 yards per game and the second best team running the ball the San Francisco 49ers is about 65 yards behind the Ravens also lead the league in total offense at over 430 yards per game and they're on track to be the first team in NFL history to average 200 yards passing and 200 yards rushing offensively in the same season that's insane number one to have that type of perfect balance which is what every coach strives for as, as well as that level of effectiveness, both through the air and on the ground, as well as the fact that anytime you're the first to do something in the NFL, which has been around for 100 years, that says a lot about what you're able to achieve. A lot of teams have an offensive identity that defensively you can key on and try to take that away and, as Bill Belichick likes to say, make them play one-handed, right? But uh, it doesn't work that way for Baltimore. The Ravens don't allow you to do that because they've done a great job of putting weapons around Lamar Jackson in the passing game. Also, because even in his second year, he's much more advanced at this point in the passing game than anyone would have expected this early in his career. And then, of course, the way they run the football so physically 
it's just a daunting task going up against them. If you concentrate on stopping the run, Lamar can make plays to the tight ends, which we see all the time. He can make plays to the wide receivers with Snead and Hollywood Brown on the outside, and they're just a nightmare overall to defend. Right now, they're 9-2, and two, and they're going to win the AFC North and at least should have the number two seed in the AFC playoffs. Might be number one, depending on how it shakes out. With that said, they've still got some tough games left on the schedule. We are about to get another chance to find out just how real they are this week when they play the 49ers. Now, the 49ers aren't great against the run. They're in the lower half of the league statistically, but overall they're one of the best total defenses, and that front four they have can really get after the quarterback. They've only lost one game on the year, so you know that that defense is going to have a lot of pride, and overall the team is coming in, and they're going to want to stop the seven-game roll of the Ravens. But uh, that's probably the matchup of the weekend and the one just about everyone who loves NFL football is looking for. Um, they, if they want to win this game, better be disciplined in terms of dealing with Lamar Jackson and uh, keeping gap integrity in their rush lanes because as soon as he gets out of there, we've seen time and time again that he can blow past you for a big chunk play on the ground. But the other scary thing is once he breaks contain, he's still keeping his eyes downfield looking to make a play in the passing game. So as of right now, there's almost no way to effectively defend him, but we'll see what uh, Ron Sulla and the uh, 49ers defense comes up with. Um, if it's me, I definitely try to employ maybe an extra linebacker or safety as a spy. It's just an overall really compelling matchup. Now think about this. The New England Patriots are 10-1 on the year and currently sitting at the number one seed in the AFC. The only losses to those Ravens I just finished talking about. And even though they look like they have a ton of problems on offense, Tom Brady clearly is uh, showing you know signs of father time catching up. I think he's 42 now. He doesn't have a whole lot of weapons to go to. They're having a hell of a time trying to run the ball. They can't run the ball effectively guess what? They're still finding ways to win. Now, don't get me wrong, a huge part of that is that fantastic defense, but in true Brady and Belichickian fashion, they keep finding ways to win, which should be no surprise since that's all they've been doing for pretty much the past 20 years, but even with that being the case, we probably haven't seen Tom Brady play at a level this un-Brady-like before but you can still always count on him to make at least one play a game what we like to call winning plays that will be just enough to get that anemic offense over the hump one thing you know Brady may not be capable of winning the game for you every week anymore but he's also not going to lose you the game I think the only team in the conference the Ravens should be worried about is New England they dominated the Patriots in the first matchup ran for 210 yards and over five yards per carry, and they physically manhandled what some people were calling the best defense ever. Yeah, I'll always go with the 2,000 Ravens on that one. But anyway, the thing is, if you play Belichick a second time, I'm not confident they can have that same kind of success going against the greatest defensive mind in the history of the game. Now, I guarantee you Bill Belichick has already ripped apart every second of that game tape in preparation of a rematch in the playoffs. Still, that's a ways down the road, but remember, I said it. Speaking of other things I said, Dak Prescott. How many times do I need to tell you? I, I guess I don't know. But since a lot of people still aren't getting it, 
Let's try it again. Dak Prescott is not that guy. He's not that guy. How much more evidence do we need? No, it's not all on him. And of course, Jason Garrett, the head coach of the Cowboys, definitely needs to go. But that's not the point here. Really, Jason Garrett should have gone years ago, but that's another matter entirely. Anyways, when Dak was lighting the league up and destroying bad teams, everyone, it seems, except me, was on the bandwagon. And I'm not sure why it's so hard to see that Dak is a quarterback that can only really shine when everything is perfect. That's not a trait of an elite quarterback or a quarterback that's worth max money or market resetting money or whatever you want to call it. Let's be real here. Jerry Jones can say it all he wants, but if he really believed in Dak as much as he wants us to believe he does, he would have paid him already. This is so obvious. I don't care if there's a star on the side of his helmet or not, but apparently a lot of other people do because we can honestly say, and if you really think about it, you know it's true, if Dak Prescott was not the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, he wouldn't even be worthy of the discussion we're having right now, and I think we all know that. He gets beat on Thanksgiving Day at home by Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Side note, are the Bills quietly and unexpectedly one of the best teams in football? Anyway, they're going to be a really tough out for whoever they want to deal with in the playoffs. They do have some brutal matchups down the stretch, though, so we'll get another opportunity to find out just how legit they are. But that's not the point here. Back to Dak. Why is it so hard to acknowledge that a quarterback who hasn't won a single game against a team over 500 all season but leads the league in passing yards is not elite and does not deserve market-setting money? Empty stats. Imagine Zeke Elliott is having for him what most would consider a down year. And he's still fifth in the league in rushing. And we can be real here. A big part of that is the fact that he isn't getting the same amount of carries he's gotten in years past. Clearly, there's some intention on the part of Dallas offensive coordinator Kellen Moore to make Dak Prescott the focal point of a high-flying Cowboy offense. In his defense, it is the number two total offense in the league behind the Ravens, but the Cowboys are 6-6, six and six, so the formula is clearly not working. They may not make the playoffs. When Zeke was the primary offensive focus, this team was a lot better. I've said it ad nauseum, I'll say it again. Football has a very simple formula. Stop the run, run the ball. So Thanksgiving just passed, and uh, I'll tell you what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the Auburn Tigers. Bruce, why are you thankful for the Auburn Tigers? You're not an SEC guy. No, I'm not an SEC guy. I can't stand the hypocrisy in college football media and the college football playoff that gets applied to the SEC and their teams and, and the misguided mindset that they're the only people in America who play college football or who care about college football. But guess what? I am very, very thankful for today for the Auburn Tigers. Let's go back. 
If you listen to this podcast, you know what I've been railing against since the first college football playoff rankings were released. I've been railing about the committee's obsession with the Southeastern Conference and their obvious determination to try and get more than one team from that conference into the playoff. We could see it all through the season with the obvious bias in the high rankings consistently applied to Southeastern Conference teams. We could see it in the way that losses weren't treated the same way for SEC teams as they were for other teams. Example, Wisconsin lost to unranked at the time Illinois and dropped out of the top 10. Georgia lost to unranked South Carolina but doesn't drop out of the top 10. Why? Easy answer. The more teams that are highly ranked from the SEC makes it easier to maintain the chance for multiple SEC teams to make the playoff. Now, here's an example where so-called bad losses are not treated the same for SEC teams. So, Wisconsin's loss to Illinois doesn't look so bad anymore because Illinois is now bowl eligible. Meanwhile, South Carolina that beat Georgia is 4-8 and eight on the season and not bowl eligible. That would make the Georgia loss to South Carolina worse. But guess what? Is Georgia being penalized for that? Of course not. Why? They're in the SEC. And the committee sees that as a quote-unquote good loss. I don't, I don't know how it was a good loss, but it, I just explained that. Anyway, now the dream of two SEC teams in the playoffs is over, and the committee has to deal with a real playoff with representation from multiple conferences and no Southeastern Conference handicap. LSU and Georgia will settle that. At this point, the only chance for the college football playoff committee to get what they want so badly is Georgia upsetting LSU in the SEC championship game. And I don't see it. But let's say that was to happen. LSU's resume is legitimately too strong to keep them out of the playoff with the teams that they've beat all season and how they've looked. Right now, Alabama, the team who a lot of people saw as the second SEC team to probably make the playoff, is out of the running after its second loss in the Iron Bowl. Again, thank you, Auburn. Auburn beat the Crimson Tide 48-45, and it wasn't without controversy, but I won't lie, I do not care. I was rooting for the chaos that an Alabama loss would create. I was rooting for everything that could possibly happen to keep the chances low of more than one team from the SEC getting into the playoff. I was rooting for this opening so we could see if Utah from the Pac-12 gets valued enough to get into the playoff if they do what they're supposed to do. And it looks like that may just happen. I was rooting for the chaos to create the opportunity for Oklahoma from the Big 12 to get into the playoff if they do what they're supposed to do. Now, Oklahoma's defense is a sieve, but as usual, Lincoln Riley generally finds ways to make things happen with that high-powered offense. So seeing Oklahoma in a playoff, depending on who they would match up against, would be very, very interesting. Minnesota, Golden Gophers, I want to say congratulations. You had a great season, but your dream of making a playoff, far-fetched as it was, even going into the games yesterday, is now over. You lost your regular season finale against Wisconsin, and that's two losses on the season, so you're now locked out, knocked out of contention for the uh, Big Ten championship game, and being real, you wouldn't have beaten Ohio State anyway. But it was a nice story all year. It was something to watch. P.J. Fleck probably is going to get Coach of the Year consideration. He probably deserves it. 
overall great job turning that program around. But this isn't about that right now. What we have now in the Big Ten is a championship game of Wisconsin and Ohio State. And uh, if you're Wisconsin, I'm not sure what you're going to do. You can't change who you are in a week because last time you played Ohio State, you got destroyed. Ohio State did a great job of stopping all-world running back Jonathan Taylor. So we'll see what uh, Wisconsin is able to draw up. Speaking of the Buckeyes, oh boy, another year, another demolition of their most hated rival, Michigan, the team they call the school from up north. Talk about disdain. They won't even say the school's name. Anyway, that final score in that one was 56-27, and it was another physical clinic, just a beatdown, keeping the Buckeyes undefeated, and they'll probably remain number one. J.K. Dobbins embarrassed the Wolverines with 211 rushing yards and four touchdowns. Now, we knew that Ohio State was the most complete team in the country, and uh, they showed it again. They may now be looking like the best team in the country. J.K. Dobbins ran for four touchdowns. Justin Fields threw for four touchdowns. They, I mean, they just look like a machine out there. On the other side of that game, if you're Jim Harbaugh in the Michigan program, how do you deal with this? Do you just have to admit to yourself that they're the better program and it's not close? Not close in terms of talent? These games are blowouts and only one's been close since Harbaugh got there. And that was the 2016 30-27 double overtime classic uh, when the Wolverines got jerked on a terrible fourth down spot that could have won them the game. But, you know, the pass is a pass and you can't live in that. Who knows if things would have been different had they won that game? I guess it's kind of the same thing like who knows what could have been different for the Buffalo Bills dynasty in the NFL if Scott Norwood makes that kick that goes wide right against the Giants in 1990. Who knows? Anyway, it's uh, back to the drawing board for the Wolverines. I don't know how many times Michigan's going to put up with getting smoked by its biggest rival on national TV. Anyway. The Oklahoma Sooners won Bedlam against Oklahoma State 34-16, and uh, they're looking at a Big 12 championship game, which is going to be a rematch against Baylor for their conference title. And if they win their Big 12 title game, does that get them in? Do they have the quote-unquote resume to get into the playoff? Or does the playoff prefer a one-loss Utah team? They might. Now, all of this is supposing that things stay the same and uh, – through the conference title games next weekend and we know the committee probably has the first three slots locked up with Ohio State, LSU and Clemson providing they all win out which I mean that's highly likely I'd probably put all that at like 95% but you still got to play the games right but that fourth spot is where it gets interesting and the problem for me is it's so hard to know what the committee is thinking and how they're going to deal with things because they never make their decision-making process or their criteria public. And I've said this before, obviously that's by design, so they can't have their feet held to the fire and, you know, they can't be uh, called to the carpet and, and taken to task for their biased treatment of the SEC. But again, another story. On a side, less important note, got to show some love for the Notre Dame fighting Irish here. Notre Dame got its first win under Brian Kelly at Stanford. And uh, a good mark for this program, that's their third straight double-digit win season. So they're clearly one of the better teams in the country consistently, but they still haven't been able to get over the hump against elite teams. Now, 
the difference in talent, uh, strength, speed, all that, the gap has closed some. Nobody's going to tell you they're going to match up and be as good physically as an Ohio State or a Clemson or an Alabama. You'd have to be a fool to think that. But if, if you watch Notre Dame play and, and you watch the rest of the teams in football play, you can see the gap in terms of physical talent has closed some. But um, as good a coach as Brian Kelly is, he just doesn't seem to be that guy that's going to be able to take them over the hump to elite status. Now, I've heard rumors that the only job Urban Meyer is interested in is the Notre Dame job. I just I find that hard to believe because I don't know that he's going to be able to recruit the same level of athletes, obviously, that he had at Florida, that he had at Ohio State um, to, to go to Notre Dame. Obviously, the academic standards are stringent. And then also getting guys out of the south and out of the more fertile recruiting grounds. Now, obviously, Urban Meyer's got recruiting uh, chops in the state of Ohio, which is not too far from Indiana, but for the most part, getting those guys to go to a cold weather, isolated place like South Bend, Indiana would be very interesting if he could do that on a large scale. But at the end of the day, you have Brian Kelly. He's still under contract. What do you do? How do you deal with him? How do you get him out of there, even if Urban Meyer really is interested in the job? So that's something that we'll have to watch and, and see how it all plays out. Finally, I think it's safe to assume that Joe Burrow has the Heisman Trophy locked up. Over 4,000 passing yards, 41 touchdowns, and only six interceptions, a QBR of 93 and 72% completions on the season. Those numbers are beyond ridiculous. Let's go ahead and put that man's name on the trophy now. So I really don't pay a lot of attention to the NBA at this point in the season. And if you listen to me, you know that. That's nothing new. Um, I'm just generally so wrapped up in football, college and pro. But there's some interesting things happening that I wanted to talk about. Thing one, Carmelo Anthony did everything he could to get back into the NBA after basically being dumped by the Houston Rockets last season after only 10 games. He did everything he could to make it clear that he could still play at above average level or even some nights at a high level. Finally, he got picked up by the Portland Trailblazers and he's back in the league. Now, obviously, they needed some scoring punch and something to help them out of the Western Conference basement. And no one thought Melo was going to be the savior. But after 10 games with the team, he's playing really well. He's averaging 30 minutes per game. He's scoring just under 18 points per game shooting 37% on threes and 46% from the field. Not bad for someone they'd have had you believe can't play anymore, right? Obviously, no one is suggesting he's going to lead the Blazers to the championship because, well, he's never led anyone to a championship except the Syracuse Orangemen in college. But he's definitely added some life to what was a dead team, and that was something that I always thought that he would be able to do. Whether it's off the bench or in the starting five, he would be able to provide legitimate scoring punch, probably to a second unit, a la Vinnie Microwave Johnson in the 80s or Lou Williams now, right? And that's something every team can use is scoring punch off the bench. So why it took that long for him to get into the league, I have no idea. Or back into the league anyway. Um, thing number two, I've talked about Kyrie Irving a lot, but here he comes again because he just can't stay out of the news, right? 
The Nets and Celtics played twice last week. They split the games, and Kyrie wasn't even there at the game in Boston. But he was booed vociferously by the Celtic faithful because, hey, that's what the Celtic faithful do. And that should be expected, right? But in true Kyrie Irving fashion, always thinking he's the smartest guy around, during the game he made a Facebook post. Okay, I'm going to read it to you now, but before I do that, disclaimer. This made about as much sense to me as his commentary that the earth is flat. So here we go. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to do the Kyrie Irving voice, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you anyway. So here's the quote. It happens all the time, and tonight just shows how sports entertainment will always be ignorant and obtrusive. It's one big show that means very little in the real world that most people live in because there are actually things that matter going on within it like figuring out a life that means more to than a damn ball going into a hoop or learning how to grow up being in a fishbowl of society based on your popularity level as a person or even dealing with becoming the leader of your family after someone's passed and not knowing how to deal with life after it happens. But this game of sports entertainment matters more than someone's mental health and well-being, right? Or the real-life things that happen to people every day but they still have to perform for the NBA and its fans, right? It's all about doing it for the fans and organization that love you so much. Think again. It's a game, and it's promoted as a fandom experience for ticket buyers and viewers at home while defacing who people truly are as people. Then spat out all over these media networks as valuable food for thought while they actually believe that their opinions hold weight to real culture leaders that speak and act for change. One big gimmick with some smoke and mirrors. I'll always be the one that takes a stand and speaks the truth every time, though. A purposeful and spiritually led life was will always be bigger and more meaningful than any sports arena or any entertainment space. This game isn't meant to be controlled and shown as a drama. It's meant to show the love. Love for the art is the only damn thing that keeps the purest people in this giant sports entertainment circus. Don't fall for the game that's played in front of you as entertainment. It'll never be as serious as dealing with life. Thank you, Kyrie. Um, not really sure what you're talking about there. I guess you're trying to sound intelligent and thoughtful, but let's be real. First, if you were that intelligent, you'd have put this thing through spelling grammar check because this is putrid writing. But, hey, that's fine. Okay, you know, I'm not trying to denigrate you or call you dumb, but you're, you know, you, you like to put on that facade like you're the smartest guy in the room. The least you can do is craft something more well-constructed uh, to, to, to pose for the world to read. But hey, that's you. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I really know what this guy's talking about. This sounds a lot like my college philosophy course and some abstract reading by Hume or something. Anyway... Again, I think this is him trying to show how smart he is, but really sounding pretty dumb. But that's my personal opinion. So be it. Some people are pointing fingers at the Celtics and crying scorned lover. But the fact is, Kyrie Irving's been with three organizations, and I'm not saying any of them were perfect, but this is now three times we've heard things that don't paint the guy in the most flattering light. At some point, Kyrie, it's you. As for commentary about the art and whatnot... That just kind of gets back to what I've said in the past about his game. All sizzle, no steak. And Kyrie, let's be real. 
I'm not saying that basketball has to be your end all be all, uh, you know, the the everything of your existence, but stop trying to paint yourself as a victim. You are very very handsomely compensated for what you can do on the basketball court. You talk about trying to affect change and this that and the third. What change are you trying to affect? What what are you out there doing? Man, cut it out. I, I don't believe you. You need more people. Anyway, did anyone anticipate the Toronto Raptors being this good early in the season? They're second in the Eastern Conference with a 14-4 and record, and Nick Nurse is really showing the type of coach that he is. Pascal Siakam is looking like the most improved player. He's averaging 25 points and 8 rebounds a game on the season, and he should probably be an all-star of this team. He's carrying the team in a way that no one really expected, myself included. And honestly, I think the Raptors really took it personally that everyone buried them when uh, when Kawhi Leonard left for, you know, quote-unquote greener pastures with the L.A. Clippers. And, uh, you know, they're probably saying, hey, we lost Kawhi, but at the end of the day, we're still the defending champions. We're not going to roll over for anyone. So, you know, a, a lot of credit to what the Raptors are doing right now. They're playing real well. It's left to see uh, how that's going to go through the remainder of the season, but I'm impressed with them early. I gave you fair warning, beware. beware. I gave you fair warning, beware. Before we get up out of here, you know what time it is. It's time for the Bruce. Michigan versus Ohio State is arguably the greatest rivalry in college football. Most of these rivalry games in college football have fancy names. You have the Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State. The Red River rivalry between Texas and Oklahoma. Bedlam between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. The Egg Bowl between Ole Miss and Mississippi State. But Michigan versus Ohio State is simple. It's simply the game. Jim Harbaugh is the Michigan man with the credentials of winning and molding QBs, uh, playing for an extended career in the NFL. He even had a nickname, Captain Comeback. He has the credentials of being successful wherever he's been as a coach. But that hasn't been the case in Michigan. He's gotten him back to national relevance, that's true, but not to where he and the rest of the Wolverine faithful want them to be. The last five meetings against Ohio State the combined score is Ohio State 221, Michigan 126. Only one of those games wasn't a blowout. We talked about it earlier. And J.K. Dobbins has gone for over 150 yards on the ground three times with over 200 yards yesterday. At some point, the Wolverines are going to have to look in the mirror, figure out what to do about Jim Harbaugh, what to do about this program, and what to do about those Buckeyes who are kicking their butts all over the field with regularity. If you're Michigan, I'm not sure what the answer is. There's rumors of Jim Harbaugh heading back to the NFL. He's categorically denied those, but, well, we saw that before. There's a guy in Alabama named Nick Saban who angrily, you know, yelled at the media and and told him that rumors of him going to Alabama was total crap. A couple weeks later, he's there at the Crimson Tide press conference. I think a lot of people conveniently forgot that, but... If you're Michigan, what do you do? Do you get rid of Harbaugh? Because at the end of the day, winning the game is the most important thing for Wolverine football. But the fact is, you just don't have the same caliber of athletes. It's not about the coaching necessarily. 
you just don't have the same caliber of athletes as Ohio State. So how do you fix that problem? That's a question I can't answer. Michigan is going to have to figure it out. So that's all I got for this week's episode of the Bruce Breakdown and this week's episode of the Format Podcast. As always, if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for coming to check me out, for listening to the pod. I appreciate you. Continue to stay with me. We're going to try to make it better. I got some things in the works for uh, some interesting guests who uh, really may um, just kind of bring a different perspective. Uh, So looking forward to that. Hopefully that'll happen sooner rather than later. If you're a new listener, thank you for taking the time to check me out. Uh, I really appreciate it. I hope I gave you some things to think about. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope maybe um, I presented some things from a a different angle that you don't normally hear. It's always my goal to do that because I'm not just a regurgitator. I like to give my own thoughts on on things in the world of sports. Um, If you enjoyed the podcast, don't hesitate to uh, share it with other people. Um, That's what we want to do to continue to get this thing to grow and, uh, you know, be successful and make it into the best product we possibly can. Uh, If you have social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Bruce F.A. Hope. That's at Bruce F.A. Hope. Or you can follow me on Instagram at The Format Podcast at The Format Podcast. Um, Obviously, I love uh, to interact with people. You can you can tell me what you liked about the show. You can tell me what you didn't like about the show. If you think I'm the biggest idiot talking sports of all time, I'm cool with that. You can tell me that too. Just tell me why. Uh, I, I just I, I love it. I want if you want to shoot the breeze with me, you can do that too. If you want to recommend topics for an upcoming show, I definitely would love that. W- would love to take it into consideration. If you have questions for me, you can shoot me those questions and I'll I'll address them on the show. We can do that too. But um. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Make sure you check me back next week. Enjoy the football, enjoy the basketball, and I'm out. Peace.